0: All right, I'd like to go ahead and get started. We have a a fair bit of information to cover uh, in a relatively brief period of time. My name is uh, Dr. Peter Jorgen. I've been blessed to be uh, a team leader for about eight to ten short-term mission trips. Also one of the uh, co-leaders for um, the West Coast uh, Healthcare Missions and Ministry Conference. It's a similar conference hosted on the West Coast in uh, Pasadena during September and also have uh, begun work with a really great group of people who love the Lord and have a real desire to see um, God's work done in a really uh, absolutely perfect way here on earth. And that's the uh, Best Practices Group, which is now the Center for the Study of Health and Missions. And uh, for those of you who are kind of note-takers and uh, folks who'd like a copy of this presentation, you can find it at our website which is kind of a version 1.0. It's not the most perfect website that we've ever created, but looks at Christian Short-Term Health Missions Best Practices .org. And so, if you want to look at the presentation later, or just use whatever you want, just use it to God's glory. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful to be here and grateful to have this opportunity to share and to network. And, Lord, you're the networker of networkers, and uh, we're just grateful for that. Heavenly Father, we have a desire to go out and and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in bringing healing to a broken world. And we just ask that you empower us, you fill us with uh, a spirit of of desire and will to go out and, and to touch people and to heal them in your holy name. Amen. All right. I'm going to tell you about a couple of different stories to get started with. Um, and uh, I live in San Diego, and just right across the border, there's a town called Tijuana. A lot of you all are very familiar with it. And so it's a really convenient place for California teams to go down and, and to uh, engage in short-term missions for a day or even for a week. We have seen ladies come to us with, with bags of red color pills, blue color pills, yellow color pills, and say, which one do I take? I have all these different medicines, but I don't know which one to take. Also, friends in Guatemala have recounted stories of women who, after having a short-term mission team come and do a cholecystectomy, come to them a few weeks later with a handful of bills saying, I had surgical complications as a result of your short-term mission team. Who do I give these bills to? They're really, really angry. There are teams that have gone to China, with actually very large teams, and have had large amounts of medications confiscated because many of their medications were expired. Our desire is to do God's perfect will perfectly here on earth, to make what God wants up there happen down here on earth. And to that end, we want to see God's word done God's way. So we try to do it as very best as we can. We don't want to be a stumbling block to people to whom we're ministering to from a health standpoint and give them the wrong idea that it's Western medicine, it's biomedical technology that's saving them. Instead, we really want to convince them of God's love and how to do that in the best way that we possibly can. So as a group, the first thing that we did is we embraced the standards of excellence for short-term missions. And a lot of you all know this. There's a website, stmstandards.org, and it's basically they outline God-centeredness, empowering partnerships, mutual design with a partner in-country, comprehensive administration, qualified leadership, appropriate training, and thorough follow-up. And as good as these recommendations are for short-term teams, we felt that it was appropriate to take another step further and talk about health missions and medical missions and how we can do that that properly and, and best. Now, we realized that we could have a real ego problem going on here and think that we're really capable and qualified to to set out a series of best practices. But we realized that as a relatively small group of of, uh, individuals um, that we really don't have the power to do that. And so as a result, we've begun with looking at biblical standards and ethics and then utilizing World Health Organization guidelines because oftentimes they're some of the best guidelines that we have that the world generally agrees to. Now, we've written documents dealing with guiding ethics, specifically integration with the United States standards of excellence and short-term missions, establishing effective health medical partnerships, partnerships that avoid dependency, obtaining permission to practice in another country, bribery, energy-based therapies, and preparation to serve. We've also written um, documents dealing with expired medications, experimental medications, and medication use in clinical care settings. Then effective clinical care operations, surgical care, informed consent, malpractice interpreters, medical records, and so forth, and towards sustainable short-term missions. And you'll find all this at that CHTSM Best practices website, and again, please, I remind you, this is a version one. We are working to something that's, that's definitely better. But to let you know that if you wanted to see some of these things that I'm not going to talk about, they are there. So if you wanted to review that, this is just a brief, a little picture showing the, the website. So when you go to it, you're going to see this, and then a series of documents, both with WHO and international standards, and then short-term mission standards, which is a way we started. We are interested in long-term missions as well, too. Before we get started with any kind of, of work internationally or even nationally, it's really important to think in terms of the different groups that we partner with or we work with. And the first is usually our partner in country. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. You may want to take a note of your paper color. If you are pink, you are our partner in country. And as a partner in country, we really want to work together with you as a short-term team to create a common vision, establish common values, and we definitely want to hold each other's interests, our best interests at heart. That means that we do things collectively and synergistically. We're interested in being competent in what we do and not over-promising what we do. We want to make sure that that uh, we are also reliable and fulfill our promises and that we're faithful, which is to say that we don't just show up in Guatemala today and then, then um, China next week or something like that, but we establish long-term relationships with people, and we think that that's something that's really, really valuable. Also, whenever meeting with partners internationally, we typically want to evaluate assets and needs. As Americans, we have a a big challenge because we oftentimes go into countries and see the needs of people. We oftentimes see that they are poor, and we, we want to provide financially for them or materially for them. But people and our partners oftentimes have significant assets which can be used in the ministry of healing. Next, we need to determine if we're engaging in holistic healing. Um, Some groups are very comfortable with with physical healing and then somewhat spiritual, but maybe not emotional. And so one of the things that we always need to think about is, for example, if we're doing a work in in Belize, are we going to be engaging in a curative health type of situation with physical healing? Are we going to be working with sex-trafficked children and helping with emotional healing? Are we going to be praying for people and asking for God's healing presence and power in their life uh, to heal them of their diseases? And so these are, these are big issues that need to be discussed with partners to make sure that we're on the same page together. Next, we want to determine our major collaborative health work that we're doing. Again, whether it's curative or we're, we're running a medical brigada, whether we're running a clinic out of a church, Are we doing a health screening, checking for blood pressures, checking body mass index, checking for diabetes? Are we doing prevention or health maintenance type of work, vaccines, or education, or even health surveys? All these things are valuable, and oftentimes uh, short-term teams oftentimes forget about these options, and we need not uh, forget them. They're really important. Any partner that we work with, we need to... Kind of have some due diligence in working with them. A lot of us feel that that when working with a partner in another country, that partner should be engaged in the health ministry. Some of the early mistakes that we made as a church in Menlo Park Presbyterian Church were to engage with partners who were, were children ministry or engaged in in. Um, uh, kind of a, a school building projects and so forth, and we really didn't work with, with health partners. And in working with health partners, what we're doing is we're coming alongside them and providing them with additional manpower so that we can accomplish what they think is important, what they think is, is something they want to accomplish and not necessarily just what we want to do. Also, there needs to be a good pattern of communication, Um, uh, One of my my great friends in China, the way he communicates is really challenging for me to understand. One time I asked him uh, whether our team should come or not, and I got a picture of eggs in a basket. I'm like, well, is that like a good thing? Is like exit a basket mean like we're all safe in the basket? And we should come, you know? So, a good communications can really, really be very important in understanding that. Of course, there are these cross-cultural communications kind of challenges that we all face. Also, transparency regarding financial issues, and particularly one of the things we don't want to be doing is pulling out our wallets and giving people a whole bunch of money. That basically puts our brothers and sisters into the path of temptation, and we need to be careful about how we handle any kind of financial transactions with our partners. But, again, we need to make sure that there's trust in that relationship, particularly in the financial area. Other questions that you may want to ask, is our partner working in the country legally? We've worked with some people that have not been in the country legally and have not been doing health care legally. What are the health needs to which we'll be responding? What do people really need, in other words? Lots of times we've gone into situations, and I'm ashamed to say, but we've gone into situations where people already have doctors and setting up curative clinics. What doesn't make a whole lot of sense? What people may need is something just totally different than what's in our mind. Where does the population currently receive their health care? If the answer is they don't have any health care, then a curative health type of setting is a really great idea that could be in a rural area where there's no health care, are no doctors, there's no surgery, there's no dental care, then that could be really, really good. And then if, if we choose a curative medical approach, does our partner have the capacity and resources to provide adequate, quality, sustainable care for the people? So in other words, when our team leaves and we've distributed either medications or provided surgical care or dental care, can our partner follow up? Can they continue to provide care for those people? Because if they can't, then maybe that's not a good thing to do. All right. So you, you pink people, you're the partner. So we're working with you, and we're, we're partnering with you to accomplish God's will and uh, in healing. Those of you who have green tags, you're the people. And again, we tend to think of people as those who are in poverty and in need, and oftentimes our first solution is to to to, to uh, try to provide something for them. And that sometimes is not the thing we should be doing, and and oftentimes we can work with them in order to to build self-esteem, to build community, and it can make a real big difference. Other questions we need to ask ourselves, are we providing relief, rehabilitation, or development? And again, that's, they're very, very different kind of, of engagements with people depending on what we're providing. And then we should try to work collaboratively with the people to create a bidirectional healing relationship that honors God. And, again, oftentimes people are able to, to bring certain resources to the healing process, and we shouldn't forget about that. This is a picture of, of, of a nurse, Sally Edwards, who's working with a woman with, who has leprosy. I was busy kind of working on somebody's foot, getting really into cleaning the foot. She was actually there touching the person, being with her, affirming her, validating her, Who do you think got closer to the feet of Jesus, Sally or me? I was into doing a task. She was into interacting with a person and loving the way that Jesus loves them. So if you have a white sticker, you're the local church that's in country. And sometimes we forget about local churches, that there's an opportunity to bring in the local churches into a healing ministry alongside us. This is a picture of a church in China, large Christian church, uh, and they actually wanted to have a clinical, uh, clinical outreach, and they wanted us to do some consultation to help their people with, who had hypertension, who had problems with diabetes, and so forth. So they set up the entire venue. They set up all the people who are doing crowd control, like this lady right here is doing some, some serious crowd control, so it was the church that we worked with and were really blessed. And they got blessed and they brought a whole bunch of other new people into their church. And it showed that the church was really concerned and involved with, with a healing ministry. If you have a blue sticker, you're the government in the country. This is a picture of our team working with a small uh, group of government officials in a, in a rural town. They had needs um, related to health education and training and and a school, and so sitting down with them, getting their approval, getting their input, and working with them was absolutely critical, and we've done this with other teams in Mexico as well, too. If you have an orange uh, label uh, sticker, then you're the local health professionals, And here's another opportunity for us to work with a whole other group of people. They may not be Christians, but they may be the local health providers in that community. So we can do teaching, we can work alongside them, we can minister to them, and it's a tremendously beneficial situation. And again, another team in China. We all went down the Mekong River to a small rural village, and we worked together. And what a great way to kind of to learn and and share, and it was just a really, really great opportunity for us, and, and a lot of fun for them, too. Finally, a group that I've left out here, so nobody has a purple sticker, but there are also Christian NGOs who work in those areas. As Christians, we're oftentimes not very tuned in to looking for other partners that we can work with that are doing the same kind of things in the areas where we're serving, Oftentimes there may be a group of Mennonites who are just down the road who have a church and have a clinic. There may be a group of Baptists who are over in the next county who, could, who have a ministry very similar to ours, and we could actually work together. This was one that I didn't expect. This gentleman from Mali was actually working in a small town in China, and we worked with him to put on a CME-like event for doctors and nurses. And you can see we're teaching about pain scales, and I guess we did a pretty good job Everybody thought that I was hurting a lot when I was laying out on a table moaning and groaning. So, uh, so uh, anyway, so I think, you know, again, there's an opportunity to work with other Christian NGOs. When you look at going out and working, whether in short term or long term, think of these different groups and how you're going to interact with these different groups, and you'll have a, a bigger impact than if you just go by yourself. So I'm going to do a little skit right now to kind of break things up. And I'm going to bring up some of the people from this row. Actually, if y'all want to come up, too, you can come on up. So uh, we're going to do a little skit. This team is a short-term mission team entering the country, and you want to think about your perceptions as the partner, as people, as the local church, and as the government, and as local health professionals. So I have uh, Jody here, who's going to be the customs agent at the, at the border. I have my suitcase with me, and I have my team with me. So come on together, team. Um, hey, guys, um, we're just about ready to go t- into the uh, customs area. And each one of you all have four bags, you know, with all the medicines and all that kind of stuff in it. And um, so what we want to do is we want to just make sure that, you know, we kind of get through as effectively as we can. And our partnering country has kind of helped us to to identify some people to, uh, you know, kind of get some extra money for their families so that we can kind of get through a little bit quicker. And um, so anyway, um, I wouldn't mention anything about the expired medicines before we go through. Okay, so let's just pray. Um, <laughs> Heavenly Father, you know that we're coming to do your work, Lord, and we're just uh, we're really uh, seeking your, your provision and, and your safety in going through this customs. And Lord, let your hand be upon us, and uh, just, Lord, if possible, just help us get through this so the customs officials are, are blinded to the good work that we're doing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and go first. You guys hang back just a little bit, and uh, then you can kind of come on through. But I, I think i got this handled. Bienvenidos a México. Uh, oh, uh, buenos días. All right.
1: estamos bien. Oh, no,
0: no, no, just a po- poquito or something like that, yeah. Doctor. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, um, um, hable inglés. Uh, un poco. Un poco, okay. Uh,
1: you, you Doctor
0: uh see
1: sí, see sí, yeah mhm ah, yeah show me what you
0: have um well we have a like a letter from from our our like minded friends in the, in a, a village or country kind of uh, out to the side and and they say that they uh, would like us to come and we are really glad to be here
1: pedro jorgen Uh yeah okay. yeah that's me okay well, vamos a ver
0: uh you like open the bag yeah i, I think
1: tengo...
0: Oh uh, okay. Well um, you know I um, you know I got some um, I got my stethoscope in here oh, okay, and all that.
1: Vamos a and, ver todo. everything.
0: Oh no, um, you know I just got you know I got my Bible oh. here. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah <laughs> Yeah um,
1: oh, and medicamentos.
0: Um uh, Quiero, yeah.
1: Quiero ver los hey,
0: hey, Arnie, do you know Spanish?
1: Do you have papers? Uh, papers?
0: Uh, no. Well, no, List? we have the, the letter from the, the folks.
1: Letter, okay. Uh, uh, okay. Let's vamos a ver. Be- Mira. Uh oh. Fecha. What that, the, date?
0: Oh yeah. No, date. these medicines are still really good. Dos, I think they're fine. Two, dos mil
1: Two thousand and six. Oh, ¿qué? ¿Qué vamos a hacer con él? ¿Otro? Uh,
0: yeah, no, I think we, uh, that's about it. No, no, aquí está
1: otro. Oh,
0: uh, that bottom. Dos mil cinco. Oh, two
1: thousand and five.
0: So, uh, I, I'm, what can I say? I mean, you know, it's just.
1: Tengo que hablar con el jefe.
0: Oh, well, no, I don't no. know that that's necessary, is it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, they, these cause problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess they do. Oh. All right, well, that's what I'm going to talk about here in just a couple minutes. So uh, thanks to Jody oh, no. and the rest of the people. So I don't know, we're not quite ready for primetime players there. All right. So we're going to make a little um, left turn here and, and just give a little bit of your perceptions. Um, as a partner in country, if you guys have the pink labels, I don't know who you all are, but if you can kind of identify yourself, what, is, what does this look like? What are your perceptions of a team that kind of comes in and, and has these kind of problems in as they start getting in through customs? If I can get comments from, from the partners here. Yeah. Arrogant American thing. Yeah. Okay. Other partners? Other comments? How does this reflect on your ministry? Yeah, go ahead and back. Makes it harder for the next group to get through. Yeah, because they're they're kind of tipped off that you know there are these Christian groups kind of coming through and doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. If you're a partner in country, how does this look to you? <laughs> All right. Y'all are a pretty quiet group. Okay, you're the people. You're supposed to be getting these medicines. You're supposed to be getting these expired medicines. These teams are coming in from the United States. And uh, how's this looking to you, folks who are holding the green labels or stickers? Are they trying to kill us? they trying to kill us. Let's hope not. Yeah. I'm sorry? They're like dumping the old stuff. Yeah, yeah, that could be a perception. What's your purpose in coming? What's your purpose in coming? Yeah, this would this would be kind of confusing. You're bringing in these expired medicines. You're kind of going to bribe some officials and stuff like that. What's the purpose? Are you really honoring God by what you're doing? How about local church? We're supposed to be partnering with y'all and doing kind of a medical brigada in your church, folks with the white stickers what does this look like to you dishonest you are making i'm sorry who man making the christians look bad yeah absolutely and again as, as a christian the last thing we want to look like is dishonest you got
1: enough trouble with the government
0: the way it is without your help yeah no kidding got enough trouble with the government yeah absolutely how about governmental officials? If you have a, a blue sticker, you're the government. How's this looking to y'all? Yeah?
1: Well, just some science behind it. There is no there is no um, expiration date on drugs. Tetracycline right. was the only drug that came out with the expiration date on it. Minimal depreciation, like Walmart, puts three three years stamped on it, every drug, mm-hmm. after, they manu- after they put it through the generics. Uh, there's no science behind the expiration of the drug. So
0: you're, you're okay. You, the you 2005, repackage. 2006.
1: There is, you know, to there is no science behind <laughs> it. Now, just the autoclave things, they can expire. Your medic, your instruments, they can expire. But right. I'm just saying the drug in its worst-case scenario, other than
0: tetracycline,
1: is not going to be as potent as it was originally. We're
0: going to get to that in a couple of minutes. So let's, uh, yeah, anybody else from a governmental perspective? Deceptive, unorganized. Yeah, yeah. Not having, not having obtained permission to practice in country stuff like that. Yep. Pay more yeah. Paying more bribes down the road. Yeah, because we have got problems now. We're gonna have a lot more down the road. They think, we're yeah. they think we're stupid. Okay. Local health professionals. Again, we're supposed to be working with y'all. You have the orange stickers. We're supposed to be working with y'all down the road here and. Uh, How's this looking to y'all? Unprofessional. Unprofessional. You're taking away my business. Away my business. My and my living. Right. Could be. So you're going to, oh, more trouble down the road for us, I see. Yeah, okay. What else? Anybody else with local prof- practitioners? Okay. All right, well, we've, we've tried to give thought to some of these issues. And uh, <laughs> we're really going to change gears and make a little left turn here again. And so hold on tight. Um, so, uh, so we're going to talk about obtaining permission to practice in another country. One point of view is, is that you really don't need to obtain permission. You have an American medical license or Canadian medical license. And it really takes too much time, and it's too, too difficult to do. This is a story that came out in 2004 about a local urologist, actually, who was arrested in Zimbabwe um, on charges of practicing without a license during a mission trip. And you can find this uh, on the web. Uh, they, they were kept for two weeks additionally, and uh, they participated on a number of other medical mission trips. So you'll occasionally find stories of doctors uh, who or nurses or so forth that are being um, detained by governments because of not having a license and practicing illegally in country. Now, given the, the current state of world affairs, what do you think the likelihood is of that kind of issue kind of increasing over time? do you the likelihood coming the United States in There you go. So that's a reciprocity kind of issue I'm going to talk about in just a second, but that's exactly right. So we wouldn't wouldn't say he had a group of doctors from Myanmar kind of set up uh, down in Louisville here and kind of did a little uh, medical kind of clinic and were handing out uh, free medicines and so forth. How do you think uh, our our government would take that? Not so good. When you're practicing and when we're practicing in country without license, without permission, there's always a little bit of a fear factor because we don't know what the government's going to do if they find us practicing. Lots of them turn a blind eye. It's never a problem. If you worked with the government before, they've often told you you need to get a license and told you how you can do that. But basically in Romans it says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right or for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and he, our Heavenly Father, will commend you, and and the government official too. It turns out permission is pretty easy to obtain. It just takes some time to do. So with a little bit of advanced planning, you can do that. There's a group called International Association of Medical Regulatory Authorities. They have a countries list, and the, 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 the uh, uh, website is right here. And it has basically every country and who to get in contact with that country to get permission to practice in, some, in that country. Now, we'll t- we have talked about and this and deliberated about this a little bit, and there may be certain countries in certain situations where it may be acceptable to get local permission in situations where there's no effective government. And there are some places like that. But but by and large, again, it's always best to get permission to um, practice in the country. Also, with respect to bribery, there's a lot in the Bible that talks about bribery and not engaging in bribery. Some people think that this is like we're forcing our culture on others, but again, virtually every nation has laws that, that are uh, against the, the the practice of bribe, bribery. So, oops! Wow! Oh, that just really jumped all the way back. Sorry about that. Ooh, it's really not good. <laughs> no signal. Wow. <laughs> this could be a really short talk <laughs> after this, um, but anyway, in terms of bribery, uh, a lot of people say that that you know again it 's the other person 's culture and it 's just the way that they are, and therefore you shouldn 't be you know really uh, too concerned because the the morals of those societies may be different but again every every country has laws against that, and uh, there are definitely problems with with trying to bribe officials also there 's a um, Actually, Arnie, if you can just help me on this just a little bit here. It looks like we have a pretty dead computer. Oh, you know what? It may have just died on battery. And just, yeah, so, so okay. So then um, the other thing is, is that a lot of people think that, well, bribery is really not such a big issue in the country, and that doesn't really cause a much in the way of problems. But there is a correlation between high bribery states and and low low levels of economic development. The two kind of go hand in hand. And one of the questions is whether economic development is actually being inhibited or suppressed by persistent bribery because it takes away that sense of fairness that all citizens expect. Another issue that is brought up by this is the use of expired medications. And... um, As as Arnie works on this, hopefully we'll get some of these uh, back to you, some of these slides back to you. But the important thing is you're absolutely right. Some of these medications do last for longer periods of time. They do have, if you check their uh, stability and check for efficacy, uh, the the Department of Defense has checked many, many medicines in their their storehouses and have found that about 80% or so of these medications are still good for as long as five years out. In the United States, however, the laws have said that that the pharmacist should have only put only a one-year expiration date on every medicine. So if you know that, if you look at a prescription that you get, it basically has a good until about one year from the time that you receive it. Also, um, one of the problems is is that as Christian small or short-term groups, it's really well beyond our capacity to be able to check every medicine to make sure that it was actually uh, still potent, still working. And so uh, the U.S. – actually, I think in our situation, we recommend just using medications that still have at least one year of of time before lapsing into expiration, uh, you know, when going to to any country. Also, the WHO, World Health Organization, has put out drug donation guidelines – and those guidelines say that you should not be bringing medications into country that have anything less than a year uh, remaining uh, of, uh, before they expire. So a lot of us, I think, have gone with WHO guidelines. A lot of you may say, well, gosh, where did these guidelines come from? Why do we, why do we have them? Why should we listen to WHO? But it's actually Christian organizations that started this whole process of, of encouraging the WHO of putting together these kinds of regulations. Similarly, they say no experimental medicines should be used. They also say that you shouldn't be reusing medications that were distributed to patients and then regathered for use um, in in a health healthcare situation. Um, Additionally, um, so all that is in the WHO drug guidelines information, and that also is – is highlighted in the talk and uh, is mentioned as you know I'll give you a website also on that uh, too. So bottom line, our recommendation is to not use expired medications. And I think it does set a double standard. The question is, would we want any of our children or any of our family members to receive expired medications? Again, given a critical situation, like in a situation like Haiti, where there's an earthquake and you desperately need medications, yes, it's probably reasonable to use that. You're looking for people who have good judgment and who are rational in terms of their thinking in situations like that. So it's not an absolute you know, situation where you absolutely must avoid them at all costs. Also, um, moving on to another, another area... Let me just mention, in terms of surgeries that are done, when doing surgery in another country, this is not an opportunity to uh, basically explore and kind of do new techniques that you've never done before, or to train people to do things that maybe they've never done before. We've heard of medical students being trained to do simple cyst excisions and minor tear duct kind of opening type of things, and uh, probably... That's not a reasonable thing to do. To, from yeah, yeah, you sure do. Yeah. Thank you all for being so patient.
1: <laughs> you're
0: helping us. Yeah, nice. So, so this is, uh, you oftentimes want to leave more, ca- more time for surgical cases as well, because oftentimes you're teaching, you're working in a different OR setting or procedure setting than what you've worked at at home, you're working with translators oftentimes, different anesthesiologists, and so you really want to make sure that you, you leave some extra time uh, in doing any kind of procedure. And that's, that's true with dental procedures as well. Any dentist who goes and does short-term medical mission work or even long-term work knows that that takes longer than it would take if they were in their own home operatory here in the United States. Also, we think that it's, it's really important for us to obtain informed consent. And what do you all think an informed consent would look like if you were in another country? If you were a person who was in another country and a doctor was trying to get you to give approval for permission, what would that look like? What should it look like? Should be in their own language. Absolutely, yes. What else? Translator witness, somebody that actually can explain it. Because a lot of times, even if it's in a language or written, sometimes people cannot read adequately, and so you need somebody who can translate it and explain things. You need the name of the procedure, what you're doing, what is it fixing, who's the name of the surgeon, what is the the type of procedure, uh, what are the likely outcomes of the procedure, both in terms of risk and benefits. Uh, Also, other things that you may want to consider, but also be praying for the patients before and after that whole process of going through informed consent. So, we're getting there. Okay, good. And I think we're going to get there time-wise too. So, how do you explain
1: informed consent for a liver resection when somebody doesn't know they have a liver?
0: Right. So then you have an either a higher hurdle. <laughs> so, so you know that, that is going to require you to explain what the organ does normally. They don't and uh, you may actually have to show them, and, and uh, you have to contextualize. And it's, it's <laughs> so what, what do you do in those situations, or have you ever had to face something like that? We kill a goat. Kill a goat, okay, alright, there you go. So goat killing on the mission field. <laughs> in many instances, the family wants the part. part, yeah.
1: And do pictures. Well, because um, too many people will operate and not actually do anything. They'll make an incision in the skin. Oh. Not actually chartered for the operation, so they want to see the organ you've taken out.
0: So it's a sham procedure, and. Which was done originally. Right.
1: So you'll have to bring them the organ
0: you've taken out. The diseased organ if you did a nephrectomy or something like that. So,
1: yeah. hysterectomy
0: or, hysterectomy or something <laughs> of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. Yes?
1: There's another cultural issue, though, that we met in the uh, Persian Gulf area where I was working, and that is that. They don't like negative things to be said. This is true in, in Islamic cultures. Right. And so going into the risks, actually, you could ma- manage to scare most of your patients away. So it was a very tricky thing to say in a more general way that there were certain risks and maybe to allude to f- a few of them. But some of the detailed risk listing I've seen in American... Uh, yeah would
0: never fly there. Right. And I think that's a, that's a big issue because just the way that we do things here, again, not necessarily the way that they're done there, and, and an extensive discussion of risk may not be appropriate. So you're absolutely right. Uh, also, again, it's just really important that some societies are not going to let certain members who are going to have the procedure, either children or women, sign their own consent or give uh, permission. So, And sometimes you're not even dealing with that person as an individual, but a person as part of the community. And you actually have to get somebody in the community, a uh, person in charge, um, either, again, a chief or a leader who, who can say, yes, that's okay to go ahead and, and proceed. So there are lots of, lots of twists that go on in terms of informed consent. This is uh, that map that I was talking about looking at uh, bribery and, and development here. And uh, showing that, uh, again, uh, areas of greater, greater development um, tend to have less in the way of, less in the way of, of bribery. This is a, a picture of us in uh, Kiev leaving the medications that we did not use. And uh, so these are all kind of American medications that we brought. We left it with a doctor in an orphanage there. And that's a pretty extensive group of medicines. And I remember actually sitting down with him, trying to explain to him with a translator what the medications were for. So talk about a, a red flag that should have been going up and saying, hey, there's a problem here. Maybe you shouldn't do this. We kind of went through it, and I kind of explained what, you know, these different brand names in the United States and what they are and so forth. So anyway, these are some of the things we've talked about. But again, this WHO guidelines for drug donation that – after arrival in the recipient country, all donated drugs should have a remaining shelf life of at least one year. So that's WHO. That's not, um, not something that uh, we as a group thought was reasonable, but uh, in and of itself, but the, again, this is a worldwide accepted standard.
1: They threatened to shut us down if they found any medicines that were passed So it's not uh, the, What you're talking about here, you know, we can argue, uh, you know, how long these medicines may or may not be good for. And I have used that very same argument in the past with, with Mexican officials. <laughs> uh, but... Uh,
0: All right. Thanks, Arnie. Appreciate that. So, anyway, you can find the guidelines for drug donations, uh, again, the URL right there. Yes.
1: There are a number of organizations that provide medications for mission trips. I've collected about three lists this morning.
0: Yes, right, right.
1: So far, I've counted seven medications on those lists that were
0: expiring before uh, six months have gone. Right.
1: uh, I've never received a list from Apple uh, International or from some of the organizations that are thoroughly beyond one year.
0: That's a real yeah. Thing. Yeah, so it's one of the things that, again, do we want to follow within the international guidelines and kind of be kind of on the safe side of the law, so to speak, or are we going to take some risk? And there are, there are some risks. And, again, that group in China had their, their whole medications uh, taken away from not just the expired ones. Everything was taken away. Again, this is uh, the WHO and who actually signed on to these guidelines, and it was really the Catholic Church and the World Council of Churches that really, along with the Red Cross, started this whole process. So it wasn't just, you know, WHO on high kind of coming up with this. It was actually the churches who were asking for this to be done. Also, the WHO principles, maximum benefit to the recipient, respect for the wishes and authority of the recipient, no double standards in quality, and effective communication between the donor and recipient. I think as Christians, we can all get behind this. I mean, we don't want double standards for, for people that we're caring for. We want them to praise God because we're here and we're taking such good care of them and, and love them enough to provide you know, what we would provide for our own families. Also, here's some of that information about home medicines. And sometimes, where do you keep your home medicines? In the bathroom. In you know, the steamy, hot part of your, your house? So those medicines are oftentimes subjected to a lot of heat and a lot of humidity. And um, some people, I don't know, I've, have you all ever done this, taken the older medicines or the newer medicines, pulled it on tw- top of the older medicines? So you don't know that, you know, the medicines in that bottle, even though it has that expiration date on, on it's really, really appropriate. Rough handling. We all have noticed little bits and pieces sometimes in medicines at the bottom of prescription bottles. Or simple, outright contamination. And, and then, again, any kind of confirmation of the dose or anything of the medicine is well beyond what we can do. Here's the sample medications part. So this is going to – some of you all will be kind of surprised at this. But WHO comes down and saying that we should not be using sample medicines. These medicines are oftentimes the brand-new medications. They're new antibiotics, new anti-inflammatory drugs, sometimes pain medications and so forth. They're oftentimes not in child-safe packaging. So when they're given out, that's that's an issue. And many of them, as it turns out, uh, subsequently will develop uh, or have black box warnings uh, attached onto those medications. So saying that they really are a greater risk than what were initially appreciated when the medicine first came out. And... Uh, it turns out, as a lot of you all know, a lot of medicines, when they get released, everybody thinks it's wonderful, oh, this is the best stuff in the whole world. Then you start getting the reports, uh, eh, it's not so good, there's some problems with it, and everybody kind of stops using it for a bit. And then, then we kind of find that target group of patients for whom it really benefits. And so with these new released medications, we're kind of that, oh, this is the best stuff in the whole world. And, you know, it really turns out that there are really some severe problems with a lot of these medicines. So again, here are the WHO guidelines for drug donation. No drugs should be donated that have been issued to patients and returned to pharmacy or elsewhere or are given to health professionals as free samples. So what do we give then? If we are going to use medications, there's a WHO model list of essential medications um, that are basic, simple medications that can be used in most countries, although some countries have preferences for certain medications and, and not for others. Um, Also, for safe medications, we are using more local medications, having our partner purchase the medications in-country. Why? Less expensive. It has the name in Chinese or Spanish or Arabic or whatever language, so people know what it is. They can continue to get the same medicine, so it's not a problem the next time that they need a refill or want more of it. And, um, again, lots of times, logistically, it's a lot simpler. Also, we need to make sure we obtain an adequate history, and particularly medication allergies. You wouldn't believe how many medical teams that go overseas just don't even ask about medicine allergies. And it's something we really should be doing. Also, we need to give important information about the medicine to the patient, labeled in the local language, or if there's not a language, they can do it symbolically, um, as far as when the medication should be taken and, and the dose. Also, it, we should provide them with some information about what the medicine does, what the side effects are, and as some sort of site for follow-up. And we've gone to the point of actually providing childproof bottles and showing patients how to open them so it keeps their kids safe. Because, again, it keeps those ladies with the baggies from stuffing those baggies on the kitchen table or in a cabinet where the kids can get at it. And there have definitely been poisonings related to these kinds of uh, problems. Also, we tend to avoid medicines that have high-benefit-adverse-risk relationships, so we're, we're minimizing our use of nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, avoiding cough and cold preparations. How many of y'all have heard recently that uh, in the world of pediatrics they're recommending no use of cough and cold preparation for children under the age of six? How many of y'all have heard that? That's out there as a recommendation by the American Academy of Pediatrics. So really important, and, and I have to say, when I go on these medical brigades, it's one of the most common things that families are asking for is cough and cold preparations. The reason why we're not giving them is that death rates are higher in children who have received these medications than in children who have not received them. Also, we really want to give serious consideration. Do, do we really want to hand out antihypertensive medications? If so, how do they keep on getting refills? How do they get monitored? How do they get... Um, managed over time. Same thing with oral hypoglycemics, lipid-lowering agents. And then we think that ex- use of experimental medications is far beyond the scope of any kind of short-term medical mission team. Yes? Um, that, oh, good question. Yeah. Okay. So why, why not nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs? Certainly, I mean, a lot of us recognize that these medications are a tremendous blessing in terms of taking away pain and fevers. <coughs> But one of the problems is that also it tends to be really harsh in the stomach, and there can be problems with bad gastritis. And especially for local villagers, I can remember when we went down to Mekong area, we did hand out quite a bit of nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And so you can imagine the thinking of a lot of villagers that if I take one, that's really good. Maybe if I take two, it's going to even be better. Also there are links to it, and especially with dehydration, with kidney failure as well. So. Certainly a great drug can be used in certain situations, but just, you know, some care should be given and some thought should be given as to who you're giving it to. There were some additional instructions as well. Okay. This is all the information I was providing about surgery. And, uh, again, this is a great chance for you to, sur- you know, share your knowledge with other physicians. I can't think of a better thing of, you know, see one, do one, teach one, or, or something like that in a surgical setting, and we did that in China with cochlear implants. So some final thoughts. We want to provide adequate curative care on the short-term setting, and, and that really comes with some high hurdles if we're going to do that. We need to get permission from the government to go and practice in country. We need to choose the right medications. So a lot of us have thought that maybe health education, community health, and self-reliance approaches may be a, a lower hurdle, an easier thing for a lot of teams to be able to do. Also, we try to do a lot of teaching whenever we're in these clinical care settings. And we know that over um, 30% of, of healthcare care um, problems can best be managed by curative care, but that leaves 70% of problems that are better treated with exercise, stop smoking, better diet. And that's really very important, too. Yes? Have you ever done any studies on the uh, efficacy of
1: short-term missions teams, you know, as yeah to taking the resources you spending to go there and uh, find a way to fuse that
0: into the local to, to help them take care of That's a great question. There's kind of two questions. One is kind of an, uh, an outcomes kind of question. And there have definitely been some people have started to look at this. Michael and Andone is one couple in, in uh, I think, Dominican Republic, who have started to look at this and have found certain problems after short-term teams have been there. Um, but then the other question is whether that money could better be applied and given to people there to use without sending large teams. And I think that's another another uh, very big question that I don't know that we've ever really looked at. Definitely you can have a major impact, like Rick Donlin said, right in your own community if you spent that money. And I know in San Diego we have all sorts of amazing different communities, Somalis and, and – uh, uh, people uh, of you know asian and and all sorts of different ethnicities, so it's really kind of amazing this is, this closing closing uh, shot here this is our team doing god 's medical work in mexico so so the question was is this is a this is a beer chair up here and there's a beer table here for those of you who are not familiar with that kind of stuff so I mean what kind of message do you think this sends when the doctor' seeing you on you know kind of Beer industry supported kind of stuff. So, anyway, I'll leave you with that thought and God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. And again, you can get copies of this talk uh, on the website. Thank you.